0: Megan with Ron Kind of Christian Podcast. How are you all doing today? Before we jump in, I wanted to point out a different feature for all you Apple Podcast listeners. I hope that all of you have hit that subscribe or follow button on whatever platform you're listening from. But if you're an Apple device user and your device has updated to the latest iOS 14.5, your Apple Podcast user experience will be a little different from now on. So Apple has taken away the subscribe function and has changed it to a follow. You can still click a listen to the latest episode button, I think, Um, but if you want to actually follow the podcast, you need to go up to the three dots in the upper right-hand corner of your screen, scroll down, click follow, and you may need to also go and set up automatic downloads for any podcasts that you listen to regularly if you don't want to miss any episodes. Okay, so this week, I have a quick question for you all. How do you typically start your day? we all have like different wake up routines and for me i have a couple of different scenarios that seem to happen most in my life so scenario 1 is a day that is maybe already a bit hectic even you know first thing in the morning maybe it's a day that i have a lot on my calendar or a day that's just out of the ordinary for whatever reason my children my husband are home because they're sick or they're just simply a day off and and i just don't take the time out to have my personal devotion devo time and maybe i don't notice it that day or you know maybe i do because sometimes this is this time is what brings me peace for the rest of the day but maybe my routine is thrown off for more than a day or two like <clears throat> covid anyone no just me i've now missed several days of devos and yeah i can tell and my family can tell although they might not realize that that's what it is scenario 2 is what I hope is actually the regular scenario. I get up in the morning, enjoy a cup of coffee with my husband before he goes to work. I teach my online classes to my Chinese students. I get my daughter after school, and then I sit at my table and spend a bit of time having what I call Devo time. I may be going through a study, just reading my Bible, following a certain book or, or wherever God has taken me, and then I have some time just devoted to prayer. Let me explain that I am a prayer journaler is that even a word i don't know it is today journaler so i write down my prayers and i've done this for years years guys it isn't you know in any way mandated that this is how you should pray by any means but hey i'm i'm a blogger as well former english teacher so i don't know that anyone's really surprised that i choose to write them on these days these normal days i typically ask god to work in me use me however best fits his will and this start to my day changes my whole outlook for the rest of the day. I have a peace, P-E-A-C-E, peace, that is missing on those days that I miss my Devo time. And and I think that I probably really do react differently to people when I've started my day with my Devo time with the Lord. But you don't need to do it just because I say that that time is worth it. The Bible tells us that we need to pray too. First Thessalonians really couldn't put it any more simply pray continually. That's chapter 5, verse 17. Some versions say, pray without ceasing. I like that translation, but you know, in my understanding, our understanding of that without ceasing phrase, this seems to be kind of an unattainable goal. I can do nothing constantly. How will I work? Take care of my family, engage with my community if all I'm doing is sitting around praying. And I think that the Matthew Henry commentary on the whole Bible Says it in a really great way. It says, The meaning is not that men should do nothing but pray, but that nothing else we do should hinder prayer in its proper season. So, you know, okay, maybe this is speaking to me directly. Nothing should hinder my own prayer time. Yet I let it. So often I let it. Maybe it's to say that even if I can't do my Devo time at the time that I typically enjoy, which is kind of first thing in the morning. I should still get it done at some point throughout the day. It should take priority of my day somewhere. I also think that this pray without ceasing means that we pray throughout the day in times of joy, sorrow, frustration, anger, maybe especially then moments of pride, thankfulness. You get what I mean. Ephesians 6, 18 says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. This verse comes at the tail end of what Paul labels the armor of God. And I don't think that's accidental. I kind of look at it like, be prepared for anything, you know, with all the different pieces of armor. And then the tail end of it is all, you know, pray through it all. Paul continues this idea of prayer in all circumstances in Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Doesn't that just so fully wrap up the differences between my two scenarios at the beginning, when I miss out on my prayer time, my day can be more easily overcome with anxieties, fears, frustrations. However, when I take my time to just be with God in prayer, his peace sustains me. And it perfectly aligns with the next verse, which is verse seven. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus really actually gives us an excellent example of how prayer should be and should not be in Matthew chapter six, verses five through eight. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus follows this with an example of prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and we'll get to that in a minute, but I wanted to stop at verse 8 for now because these verses give us some great insight into what not to do and why. So don't feel like everyone needs to know that you're praying. This is really kind of a a pet peeve of mine. Not that people pray in public, you know, you should, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But when people are doing things publicly, like, and and we live in such a social world right now that it's like, you can't just help someone out of the kindness of your heart. Now it's like, I'm going to help this person, but I'm going to film it and I'm going to put it on TikTok so that everyone can see that I'm doing this great thing. That's not why we should be doing these things, right? We shouldn't be praying because people are going to see us and we shouldn't be helping others because people are going to praise us for that. Prayer is an intimate time between a person or people if you're in a group and God. So when Jesus said, Do not be like the hypocrites, he was referring to people who are praying for the sake of man's recognition of their prayers. Look how holy I am. I'm praying loud and in public so you can pat me on the back. This is not saying that you should never pray in public. It's saying that it comes down to what? That's right, the heart of it all, the motivation behind the action. Is your prayer sincere? Awesome. Pray it up. Is your prayer so that you can receive praise from men? Well, you might want to rethink that one. Jesus also says this in regard to doing good works and fasting, but those are, those are really kind of topics for another day. Even Jesus was known to get away from the crowds for his personal prayer time with his father. Matthew 14, verse 23 says, After he had dismissed them, the crowd is what he's talking about, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. The second half of this is in regards to the length of prayer. Jesus tells his disciples, do not go on babbling. I love that translation. Do not go on babbling during prayer like the pagans do. The NIV study Bible explains that this was said because pagans used long lists of the names of all of their gods and hoped that by repeating them endlessly, they would eventually call on the name of a random god that would help them. So let's make sure we understand. Jesus is not condemning long prayer. He's saying we don't need to meaninglessly go on and on in our prayers because our Heavenly Father already knows. In fact, Jesus himself was known to have some pretty lengthy prayer times when situations called for it. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 36-44, through 44, Jesus prayed for at least three hours. He was about to be betrayed by one of his followers, and he knew it was coming, and his heart was troubled, and he says... His soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, and he prayed, and his disciples fell asleep, and he continued to pray. So, you know, pray your lengthy prayers when you feel like you need to, but don't misunderstand that God doesn't need us to pray. He already knows our hearts, our minds, our circumstances, and even the eventual outcomes. We pray because we need it. God tells us to do it because we need that time with him. It's for our good. And sometimes prayer with God is the only thing that brings us an ounce of peace. And that's the peace that surpasses understanding. So when you're facing a time of mourning or a time of fear, pray. Pray for as long as you need to. One of our father's greatest titles is comforter. And that comes from Jeremiah chapter eight. He loves to comfort you and rejoice with you. So pray as long as you need to. Pray often and in all circumstances. So now that we've talked about when and how not to pray, let's talk about what prayer should look like. And this comes straight from Jesus. So the Lord's Prayer, we all know this prayer, right? It's one of the first pieces of scripture that many of us learn, and a lot of us can repeat it verbatim. But I'd really like to dig a little deeper into it today. So what's it really all about? If you listen to the Wrong Kind of Christian Podcast on a regular basis, you've likely heard me say that I like to do in-depth Bible study looking at the original intent of the author and then practical application for today. So let's apply that method to Matthew chapter six, verses nine through 13. So this is the continuation of the verses that we talked about earlier when he was telling them not to be like the hypocrites. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I'm stopping there, and I know some of you are going, that's not the end, and we'll talk about that. When I'm doing a real in-depth study of the word, I use several different commentaries to guide me, and I'll list those out um, in the show notes if you are interested in reading those. Before we start breaking the Lord's Prayer into pieces, let's take like an overall look at it. The first thing I notice is that it's kind of, it's a pretty succinct prayer, right? It doesn't go on and on and on. It's not like the prayer of a person who inevitably ends up saying grace before Thanksgiving dinner, right? It's short and sweet. And another thing that I've noticed is that the Lord's Prayer has seven parts, if you will. And so what's so special about that? Biblically speaking, the number seven represents wholeness or completeness, perfection. Of these seven parts, three of them are about God himself, and the other four are about us, the children of God. So let's let's take a look at it. Our Father in heaven. That's a great way to start, right? Almost like addressing the letter, Jesus starts the prayer by letting us know to whom we are speaking. But there are some interesting things going on here. One of the first things, a little interesting tidbit, is that Jesus addresses it to our Father, ours. Not his, not theirs, but ours. And this is really kind of striking for two reasons. One of those is that Jesus is bringing us into a community with other Christians. It's a reminder that we're not alone, isolated by ourselves here on earth, but we're part of a great community of Christ followers. It's a unifying phrase. The second reason this terminology sticks out so much to me is because not only does it unite us with other Christians around the world, but it unites us directly with the Son of God. Jesus is the one leading this prayer, and it's his words that are bringing us together. He's placing himself with us, our Father. Another interesting tidbit here is that Jesus basically invited us to call God Father. And that really probably seems so second nature to us, having known the Lord's Prayer for so long. But the people that Jesus was speaking to in person, the disciples, this was a very, very intimate way to acknowledge the Lord. And according to most biblical scholars, there is no evidence at all that anyone called God Father before Jesus. Don't you just love that we've been invited to have that kind of a relationship with God? The next section, hallowed be your name. Guys, I can't read this section of prayer without thinking of a recent video um, that I've seen like Facebook and TikTok all over the place of a mom talking to her her very little girl. I don't know, maybe two or three. Have you guys seen it? The mom says, what's God's name? And the girl looking at her mom like, I don't know why you keep asking me this. She says, Howard. And the mom repeats it. Howard and the girl says it again, and then the mom says, Why is God's name Howard? and the little girl, with the cutest expression on her face, she says, Our Father who art in heaven, Howard be thy name. and the mom just dies laughing, and I'm laughing watching this over and over because she's just so adorable. This little girl just keeps looking on, like, What? Why are you laughing at me? I'll share it on my social media pages if you guys haven't seen it yet, but in all her childlike understanding, this little girl really isn't that far off from some people's understanding of the word hallowed. It's not really a term that we use these days, and it really has a very simple meaning. Hallowed means holy. Hallowed be your name. God's name is holy. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 2 tells us that there's no one holy like the Lord. And in this one simple phrase, we're praying for all to recognize that the Lord God in heaven, our Father, is holy. The next section, your kingdom come. This particular piece puts two images in my mind. The first, we're praying for God's will to be done now on earth today while we're still here and going about our lives. We're praying for God's will to shape every aspect of our world. And that's so important to me personally, because I really take refuge in knowing that God is still in control of this crazy, imperfect, fallen world. And the second image that comes to mind is the future fulfillment of the kingdom of God coming to earth. Have you ever had those days where you just look up at the heavens and you say, come Lord Jesus? I've read somewhere recently that perhaps this is the wrong idea to have because we're essentially praying for time to be up for all those who don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I get that. I do. But I also know that there's a tiredness that comes with this life on this earth and the frustration that comes with watching the world around you dive into sin and loving it so much and not paying any attention at all to the Lord God who reigns. So with Jesus as my example, I will continue to pray, come Lord Jesus, just as he prayed, your kingdom come to our heavenly father. The next section, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I wonder why it was so important to include that phrase on earth as it is in heaven. Like, wouldn't it be enough to just pray for God's will to be done? It seems to me that this is a reflection for us. What must it be like in heaven? No disobedience, no distractions. What God wills is done without the back and forth of the will of those worshiping him. And it seems to me like that is maybe the point of this phrase. We should so desire God's will to be done that we give ourselves over to it. And what I'm about to say may make you angry. And you may want to call me out and tell me how wrong I am, but hear me out. Even Jesus, while here on earth, was tempted to not follow the will of the Father. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus knows what's coming. He knows it is not going to be an easy road ahead. He tells his disciples to keep watch and he goes alone with the father in prayer. We just talked about this earlier in the episode. He says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup be taken from me. Jesus knew what the will of the father was, but he still just for a moment asked for it to be taken from him. But then he quickly follows that up with the phrase that I have relied on so much in my life. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Our ultimate goal on this earth is to do the will of our Father. Jesus gave us this example more than once, and we see it in the Lord's Prayer. We see it here in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, and we see it again in Matthew chapter 26, verse 42. How important it must be to submit ourselves to God's will if even Jesus is praying about it. Let's keep going. The next section, give us this day our daily bread. Ironically, there are some questions about this phrase, and it seems so straightforward to me. There are many who say that this part has nothing to do with bread at all, but is about the bread of life. I mean, I suppose you could take it there, but I'm not convinced of that. I suppose that's not to say that you can't view it with the lens of both meanings, but I really see no reason why this can't just be about asking God to meet our daily needs. We know that God cares about us and our well-being. He's not a God that just creates and then observes us while we live our lives. He wants us to tell him what is on our minds, and that includes what we need on a daily basis. The next section, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Guys, it is hard to forgive people who have wronged you. I'm not talking about you know the person who cut you off in line or the person who lied about why they weren't coming to your party. I'm talking about... The cheating spouse, the person who hurt your child, the person that cost you the job that you wanted. I'm talking about the people who've done something so egregious that it hits you at your core. You know what I mean? I bet you've got an example or like five running through your mind right now. And these are the people we're called to forgive. It's hard. Jesus knew it was going to be a kicker for us. So directly after he finishes this example of prayer, he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Let that sink in, guys. If you can't find it in yourself to forgive others, God will treat you the same. Now, does that mean that I'm just going to say, oh, it's fine, and continue to put myself with this person? Probably not. It does mean I'll pray for them. If you listened recently to my Tough Talk episode about divorce, you've heard a little bit of this story, but one of the hardest experiences that I've ever gone through was ending that marriage. And I was so angry for so long. And then one day, I felt like I should pray for the other person. And I won't lie to you, it wasn't something that I was like fully on board with. Not because I didn't care about them anymore, but because I did. And there was so much anger and hurt still there. And then one day I was just finally able to open up to God and not just to pray about this person, but to pray for them. And that was when I realized that I must have crossed that forgiveness threshold. In a book I read recently called I Found Love by Doug Bender, um, you can read my book review on my blog, roundkindofchristian.com, or you can listen to an interview that I actually did with Doug earlier, February, 2021. There's an interview between Beth Nemo and TJ Stevens, and in the book, Beth is the mother of Columbine school shooting victim, Rachel Scott, and TJ is a school shooter from another incident. TJ today still struggles with the guilt of what he's done and how his actions have affected others so drastically. And Beth, while not a mother of one of TJ's victims, shows this immense capacity to love and forgive throughout their talk. Sometimes we're called to forgive because it releases us from the weight of the anger or the hurt. Sometimes we're called to forgive because our forgiveness will help someone else better understand God's forgiveness in their own lives. Either way, we're told to forgive and Jesus thought it was worth putting in this example prayer that he modeled for us. So the next section, and lead us not into temptation. Okay, so in order for us to really grapple with this part of it and why there would ever be any situation in which God would lead us into temptation, we need to first have a better understanding of this word temptation. For many of us, we kind of hear this word. We automatically think that it's something evil and sinful, and it has this like negative connotation. It's generally not thought to be a pleasant experience, right? I know you like it when I bring in the Greek words. So let's talk about this word temptation. The word temptation used here is the Greek word perasmos, which is really more of a trial or an affliction. And it's sometimes used when someone has to prove something. So maybe a better understanding for us would be, and lead us not into trials that may allow for me to sin. So while God does not lead us into sin, he does allow us to sometimes go through trials. Do you have an example of a trial that you've gone through floating in your mind right now? I don't know about you, but in my experience, major growth in my relationship with the Father often comes after a trial in my life. He uses that time to refine me, to bring me into something new. So now we know why he allows us to go through these trials, but they're still not pleasant. And so it makes complete sense to pray to the Lord that he will keep you from them. And the next section, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, this one doesn't get anything more than a big amen from me because yes, Lord, please deliver me from the evil one. Some translations have this as deliver us from evil. But if we look at the original language, the specific way it was written includes an article. So like if we said, look at the sun or the earth. And that implies that we're speaking about something of which there is only one. So Satan himself. So Satan himself. And since I certainly don't want to be in Satan's clutches, I have no problem praying this line. Okay, so some of you might have noticed that I cut off the end of the prayer when I was reading the verses, but really it it's an extended version and we'll talk about what it, that really means. But so the extended version says, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Why do some say this and some don't? It actually isn't in the original gospels. It came later sometime in the first or second century in a publication called, I'm going to butcher this name, the Didache. It's technically called the teaching of the 12 Apostles. And it was like a Christian manual. So it just basically summarized all that was in the Gospels, but with some extra additions. It was actually considered for inclusion when the New Testament was being compiled, but it was rejected because many who were involved in that process, they just didn't feel like it was God-breathed or inspired. So most Bibles today have a little footnote at the bottom to include it, but it's not usually in the actual word of the text. So there you have it. I hope that you're able to take this and pray the Lord's prayer with a little bit more meaning behind your words now. And I hope that you'll take it as an example of prayer. If you're ever feeling stuck in your prayers, it's a great place to start. Just say this prayer word for word. In fact, I like to do this with lots of verses in the Bible. I take a verse and I speak it into my prayers, which, you know, kind of does two things. It helps me hide that treasure in my heart and it it really makes it personal. It helps me apply these verses to my life and find meaning in it. And that's really what the Bible and the word is all about. I always give this warning. Be careful what you pray for. Because sometimes we may not be ready for the way those prayers are answered. I hope you all have a wonderful week. My challenge for you this week is to spend time in the Word and in prayer daily. Remember that it doesn't have to be an extended session or anything. Just be yourself. Spend a few minutes with Him. See if you notice a difference in your day. The day may not be easier per se, but you may find that you respond differently to the things that come. I'll talk with you all next week. Bye.